Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. And we are live on Wednesday. Ooh, wait, no. Not <gasps> check your calendar, it's, man. Check your calendar. I'm checking it right now. 
It's Monday, April 4th, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, Helping Friendly Podcast. On tour, live, coming at you now, two times a week. Two times a week. Twice as much fish, which is twice as much fish as I listened to before. No, who am I kidding? Uh, I've listened to a lot of fish (laughs) before this. This just gives me fish to listen to with purpose. You know what I mean? Focus listening. Focus listening, note taking listening, all the fun stuff that uh, that we get to do when we listen to fish. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast on tour coming at you live Monday, April 4th. My name is Brian Brinkman. I am here with Jonathan and Megan. What a trio we've got. We are breaking down today a show which happened in my backyard, basically, 32 years ago. Someone's backyard. It's Quigley's Quigley's backyard. Maybe (laughs) Eli's, maybe George's. I don't know. We're going to hopefully figure it out. Eli, George, Quigley, if you're a real dude, shoot, you know, talk to us. Let's, 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 let's talk about this show here today. But this is first comments. Find us in the comments. Let us know what it was like. This was Fish's first show in Colorado since Telluride 1988. We're going to dive into this today, talk about the significance of the show, the significance of Colorado, and a bunch of other oddities and absurdities as you're, you've probably come to uh, recognize here with HF Pod Weekly, HF Pod Live. Jonathan, yes. we haven't seen you in some time. How are you doing, my man? Oh, I'm great. Um, I've been uh, doing... I'm really just sitting here waiting for you guys to call. So thanks for including <laughs> me again. Um, uh, you know, this is uh, life. You know, you you get unemployed for a while and you start like, man, I wish I had a job. I wish, and then you get a job and you're like, man, I wish I was unemployed. So, um, yeah, here's, here's to living, L-I-V-I-N. It's a constant struggle even when it's great. You know what I mean? There's – it's the grass is always greener on the other side, but we try so to stay in the present. We try to surrender to the flow. Megan, I know you know about surrendering to the flow right now. How is everything <laughs> going for you? How are you here today? Well, I'm so glad to be here today. And I'm so glad that Jonathan's back because I really miss talking fish with you, Jonathan. What's up? I really missed, like, right as we're getting ready for this episode, you're both pulling me through understanding some very convoluted fish data graph those are the things I miss. So I'm so glad you're back. Yeah, it's well, we not realized, fish without graphs. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's not fish without graphs. And we realized that, you know. We or Brian's we stats. Were, or, or stats, yes. We, we realized that we were giving you too little fish graphs and fish stats by only talking <laughs> once a week. And that's why we increased this twofold. Now we're talking twice a week. Plus, we'll be talking a whole lot more this summer. Just get ready. Mm-hmm. This is... There was the summer of George, not this George in the show, but there was the summer of George. This is the summer of HF Pod. I feel it. Ooh. I believe it. I'm projecting it into the universe. I like that, Brian. Bold. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's how we're kicking off our two times a week. We were going to be jumping into, like I said, uh, 4 4 from the University of Colorado Boulder. Really cool, fun show. This is now my... Second 1990 show I've listened to in a matter of days, which I don't listen to a lot of 1990 and I'm realizing listening to this, there's just a lot to be learned from. And I'm really excited to dive into more going forward. 
I was going to ask, how do you feel about diving into 1990? I always had a hard time in the old days on HF Pod convincing those guys, these guys, to go into the way back. They were like, well, if there's not a 20-minute jam, I mean, other than a vocal jam, we can skip those. You know, you know they, they, they didn't want to, you know, it was tough. It was, it was difficult. And I was like, come on, man, let's do another 89 show. Like, they, they, they weren't there. But, um, We're more ab- amenable, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I loved listening to this show. It was a lot of fun. I do too. Yeah. I love thinking about like who they used to be, you know? And I, I love thinking about like young bands now and thinking about when Fish was like that. Right. It's so great. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, when I started getting into Fish, I got into them during the hiatus and all the shows I was consuming. I mean, at the time I, w- I didn't care. I wasn't asking for a specific tour or a specific year. I just wanted more fish. So I ended up getting like 11, two, 1990, three, 13 or three, 15, 1991, three, 13, 1991 from Breckenridge. Um, few other random shows from this time period. But like, as I got into fish, like my personal taste is like 94 and onwards. But to your point, I did a listening project about five or six years ago now where I listened to the entirety of 1992's spring tour on its anniversary. And I had like a breakthrough then of like, like Megan said, I felt like I understood who they actually were and not who they became and not who we think of them now. And I heard the building blocks and I heard how you go back to these shows in that 89 to 92 chunk where they're really tightening things up. They're writing a lot of songs and you see this conscious decision by a band to slightly reel it in for the purposes of, of what is to come. And, and to me, it, it doesn't have the exploration, but it has everything else you would want from fish. It has the humor, it has so the much energy. Mm-hmm. They're playing, they're punching above their weight Every night, I'm going to talk about it when we get to the end of the show, but like they punch above their weight with song selections, with the way that they sound in probably like scattered rooms. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really eye opening for me to listen to it. Yeah. I mean, I like listening to Trey's tone. People complain about Paige also, you know, and the electric piano and something. I dig it. I dig it. It's different. Obviously, the grand piano is wonderful and a nice growth thing. And and today's rig with ten thousand synths up there. And but the same can be said for Trey, right? You know, he's got a massive guitar rig. We were blessed to get that rig rundown. Was it last year with the weird smile? Um, it was, yeah. And uh, which was awesome, <laughs> awesome as a as a guitar player and you know budding gearhead um, because I'm mostly an acoustic guitar player, but. But thinking about what Trey's out there doing in 1990 with an infinitely smaller rig, you know, it's just, it's great. You know, it's just Trey, at least got a, a tube screamer and a Mesa boogie amp maybe, and, you know, just strong ass fingers and so many chops and, uh, and he just blows it right out. It's, it's awesome. And I just love thinking about these like incredible musicians hustling every night in these small little venues playing to no one playing to a frat party playing to you know i think that's that's really why they're who they are because they put in the work you know and i think that listening to these shows really shows that they've always been who they are and they've always put in the work yeah and that's the thing is like you can prefer 
the way that they sounded when Paige's Baby Grand comes on. It fills out the overall sound of the band. Sure. But they weren't waking up one day and saying, we're going to be fish and we're going to play stadiums and we're going to have a baby grand piano that we have to lug around the lug, you know, around the country on a night to night basis. Like that is an evolutionary step that takes a lot of processes to get there. And part of that process is the sound of page saying, I have one keyboard. I'm going to try to figure out how to make this maximized across our sounds. Trey has a few effects. I'm going to try to turn this into whatever it is. All of this we're going to get into, but I think as we're all pointing out here right now, we're very excited to talk about 1990s <laughs> fish, early 1990s fish, which as I, I love talking with you, Jonathan, about fish. When I get to see you smile about a topic that we're, we're covering for fish, it makes me that much happier. And I haven't seen you smile this much on an episode. And so I'm, I'm very happy already nine minutes in before we get to that though. Two really quick things to tell you. Number one, a quick reminder to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts for HF Pod Premium. We put on an episode last week that matched up with our live episode where we talked about our favorite versions of Tweezer. This week, we are going to be talking about the best fish show from our birthday month. Which to me is a fun, loose conversation. And I'm curious to hear what everyone has to say. We'll also get to learn everyone's birthday, all that sort of fun stuff that comes along with it. The other thing we need to tell you about is our sponsor. Megan, are you telling us a bit about Sunset Lake today? I sure am. Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products are for everyone. You know, they're for the old deadhead, they're for the young fish fan, anybody. Searching for a mellow body high. <laughs> Which one are you, John? Are you the old deadhead or the young fish fan? See the flag back there? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid and anxious side effects. And there's nine different strains from this year's harvest. So there's something for everyone. The Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show. And cherry abacus is best for the end of the night. All of the flour is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. And even better, they have this really cool farm-to-table approach. So this gets you really great pricing on premium CBD flour because they ship directly from their farm to your door. And this weekend, I was at a show with a friend, and afterwards, we felt like smoking, but it was really late. And so we decided to have some CBD. We had a CBD pre-roll from Sunset Lake. And it was so nice. It was a really great way to end the evening. So I highly recommend you check them out, sunsetlakecbd.com. And you can use our coupon code HFPOD and you get 20% all products. So Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. What a wonderful thing, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Every time I hear that, I'm like, I just want more Sunset Lake, aside from the fact that like the product is just excellent for me. Um so let's jump into this. So 4-4-1990, why did we choose this show? Well, this show happened 32 years ago today, but also this was Fish's first Colorado show since 1988. When Fish visited Colorado in 1988, they played in Telluride, Colorado for about a week. We wanted to set the table here really quick with just the significance of that run, what that run did to impact the band, and what it means just under two years later when they decide to come back out to Colorado, where they're going to play about three weeks of shows across the state. Jonathan, 
What were your thoughts on the way that Telluride impacted fish in 1988 and how did it lead to where they're at here in early 1990? Well, we talked about this on, um, on Undermine, the first season of Undermine, right? And what a crazy, arguably dumb idea it was to like <laughs> go drive all the way across the country to play some bar gigs in like a tiny ass town in Colorado. It's not like they had bar gigs in Denver or something, you know, tell you right. <laughs> Beautiful, amazing place to go. We talked about it last time I was on here is a place I'd like to mm-hmm. see fish actually, but um, it, just a ridiculous notion let's just let's pack ourselves on the truck and drive all the way across the country on this guy's word which by the way wasn't any good total scam yeah Yeah. and and they did it and they had a great time and they made good music uh but arguably fish would have made good music anywhere they played at that time um they were they were growing band but i think it really just showed them that they could do a thing and mm. I think that is almost more important than what they did on stage was that like if Fish decides to go play a show there, they can do that. And that mm-hmm. they did. And uh, I, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway uh, from the 88 shows. I mean, it's such a leap of faith. I think, you know, when you're a new band, you are always just kind of growing, you know, organically that way. And I feel like when, yeah, exactly. And when you're playing in, you know, they were only playing really in Vermont at that time. They playing like Mm -hmm. once or twice a month in New York or New Hampshire or Massachusetts. They were just doing like that really tight New England college club and club circuit. And, you know, if you go a little bit further out of your usual area, you can get a few people who know people who bring people. So you have, you know, more of a chance to go that far you know, you're really taking a huge risk. So I think for them, like you said, this was just something totally risky to do. And it was probably such a super fun adventure for them that I think it probably gave Colorado like a special feeling for them forever, which we're going to talk about later. But it's pretty cool. I think it actually sets the trajectory of their their next two big tours over those next two years um, and becomes a destination for them. One of the cool things about the the features that we did on the, the Colorado run in um, Undermine Season 1 was we actually talked to some fans who saw the band in 88. Uh, we talked to a fan who was friends with the girl who housed the band when they were there in 1988. And it really felt, in hearing their conversations 30-plus years on, that they looked back on that week that the band was there. Like, the band became a part of the town. And it was the kind of thing where like, you can imagine on that last night, there was like a lot of sadness. Like, are are you guys ever coming back? Um, The the only thing I can equate it to is I I spent a summer living in a tiny little town in um, Alaska. And there was a band that came through from New Orleans and they were like our band for like four nights. And every night the entire town went up to see them (laughs) and they played the bar three nights. And then one night, this guy was like, I'm going to throw a party at my house. And everyone had like 20 acres and they were like, cool, we'll come out. We'll play. And they played a show there and then they're gone. And everyone was like, Oh, remember when that band came through? It was so awesome. And it, you get that vibe from fish from a fan standpoint. And you got the sense from the fans. They kept in touch with the band over the next couple of years and helped them to figure out where do you play when you come back to Colorado? Mm-hmm. And these 
fans like you know they benefited from the fact that if they wanted to see fish in the Colorado region you know as far east as Kansas City down to Santa Fe um uh out into Utah uh, you know out into California fish hooked them up with backstage passes with tapes so that they could trade tapes and it really gives this band for as dumb of a risk as it was to pack up into a probably a u-haul and drive across the country it really showcases who the band is where they are at like from a personal standpoint from an emotional standpoint how they value their fans even in faraway places and i think to a point both of you have made it really showed them how far their music could travel even though they hadn't played in between right telluride and like Utica, New York, or wherever, like the furthest <laughs> east they played in New York. Even though they hadn't played in between that, they knew that there was a pocket for their music someplace else. Yeah, uh, I still just can't get over how gutsy it is. But again, like you say, it pays <laughs> off. Um, right. And and here we are looking at roughly two years later, and they're back. And this time they're actually, they're in Boulder, right? For this show, for example. And, mm-hmm. and they, you know, go to Crusted Butte and Telluride again. And then Denver and then back to Boulder. I think I Fort Collins and Colorado Springs. Jesus, they're everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. not back to Boulder. They're but uh, all over Colorado. Although Brian being the Colorado Colorado person would say, well, it's really all just one little corner or something. But uh, <laughs> no, it's... Uh, <laughs> it looks like it's all over the place to me. It's all over, man. Yeah. Like they're they're driving, and yeah. you know, it's. I'll say, like when they when they plan their time out here, from a seasonal standpoint. I mean, Colorado is unquestionably the best weather I've ever experienced in any place I've ever lived. I've lived in a lot of places in this country. To go to Telluride in August when it's like cool up in the mountains, and then to come to the Front Range in the springtime when this time of year is just gorgeous. Like I was driving my kid to school today and I come up over this hill and I can see the flat irons out in the distance and I can see like Boulder. And I was just like thinking to myself as I'm listening, listening to the show, like, man, getting in the car, driving up Wadsworth, jumping on 36 and going to this show on this night. What a spectacular thing, just like a perfect time of year for them to come out here. So they really picked like when to come to Colorado, when to visit the state. Um, should we jump into four four nineteen ninety? Let's do it. So I want to read just really quickly uh, the fish.net review from this show before we jump into this because there's a couple of them. Um, but the one that I want to read is by uh Kedrar, who posted this on June 12th, 2011 assuming he was going back through all of his shows and posting quick reviews. He said, this was an awesome show at Quigley's. I was back in Philly getting my knee operated on and I got to catch fish at the 23 East cabaret in Ardmore, Pennsylvania the month before I'd just gotten back to school at Boulder where I was at, where I was in school and managed to catch the show. I couldn't convince anyone to blow off a major party to go with me. So I went alone. I met up with my buddies later and tried to convince them to go with me to JJ McCabe's the next night. Some other local band, possibly band du jour, was playing, so they said no. Kedrar, you did good trying to convince everyone. You were committed. You saw fish in Pennsylvania and Colorado in a three-week span of time, which is 
pretty normal by 2022 standards, but not yeah. normal at all by 1990 standards. It's a bit of a jump. While he didn't convince anyone, he made the right call. Let's yeah. be honest. He made the right call. Are you going to read the review from Demand Opener? I, mean, come I on. guess we can. There's nothing really special about this show. Pretty <laughs> typical for late 80s, early 90s fish. Not to say there's anything wrong with it, but apart from an enjoyable early yim, there's not much to see here. I went with 2.5 stars because there's some slop and foam and good times, bad times. Slop. I'm here to... I'm here to disagree yeah, with demand. That's harsh. That's harsh. Hey, first of all, good times, bad times is designed for slop. Like you can't, right. you, you, you have to give them bonus yeah. points for getting that right. It's a messy <laughs> rock song. Come on. So let's talk about this because I think that we can set the record straight here. We would have gone with Kedrar to the shows had he asked us. Totally. Yep. And we would have, you know, kind of elbowed demand opener out of the room because, bro, it's 1995ish. Surrender to the flow. Be happy. Like, put on your Birkenstocks, get your patchwork pants out. Like, just yeah. embrace it. This is the future. This is this is where jam band music and jam band culture is happening. We're seeing the future right now. The start of a new decade. <laughs> they open up the show with Golgi Apparatus, which I have a quick theory. Now, Kedrar kind of scoffs this down because apparently there was a huge party going on and word had not traveled super far from Telluride to Boulder. But my theory is there were a lot of people trying to go to this show. It's Fish's first show in Colorado in two years. And they had to shout out, I saw you with a ticket stub in your hand. I could be completely wrong here. I probably am. But it's my theory for them opening with this. They're singing to Kedrar. George. <laughs> That's all they're singing to. Eli. <laughs> yeah. That other yeah. guy. No. Uh, you know, maybe somewhere in there, but it's we'll just, see. it's a good song. It gets people pumped. It's got, yeah, you know, ticket stub. It, you know, it's really just an open, a kind of a banging opener. It shows a little bit mm -hmm. of everything they can do. Right. So, um, and they do it. And they do it. We go into You Enjoy Myself next, which reminds me of the first show at the Paradise a year and change earlier where they go, I didn't know, into You Enjoy Myself. And it just feels kind of like a statement. We're back in Colorado. This is You Enjoy Myself. Like, this is the fish song. We're going to throw it down here. Um, talk about slop. It is a touch sloppy up, up top, but like, I'm not really going to scoff at it. It turns into a really cool jam, and it's wild to see on tape. This is a 14-minute You Enjoy Myself, and it gets it done. And I don't know the last time they played a You Enjoy Myself that was under 18 minutes kind of at the low end. So this what are your thoughts? great, here, though. Mike sounds amazing. There's this, like, really funky bass line, and it's just they're doing some cool effects when Trey's soloing. I mean, I think it sounds great. This is a great version. There's also, you can hear the crowd. I don't know if it's before or after yelling, Wilson sucks, which is, like, so awesome. They're like, we know – we're in, you know, they want the band to know, like, we know what's up. We know Wilson sucks. Yep. I just think that's so great. Like to hear that they must've been like, okay, yeah, we're back. And like Wilson sucks and you know it, you know who we are, you know what we, what we sing about. Like that must've been so awesome for them. So I just had to say that. Oh yeah. No, they're, they're probably really stoked to see maybe probably a few, a couple people that they knew and hadn't mm -hmm. seen for a little bit, but also just to hear people give back to them 
some of their own previous, you know, some of their own energy from a couple years before, or there were East Coast people who've come who were out there at the time, or whatever. Yeah, fans, like maybe there were some tapes going the on. There's some fans. Yeah, there's yeah. people ready to be like, we we know what you're about. It's yeah. awesome. And the nice uh, ripping walk away out of that you enjoy ah, yourself. Just... The vocals are so on point in this walk away. Like I really love listening to them sing in these earlier shows. Like 1989, 1990, like they are like really committed to their singing. It's awesome. Well, in walk away kind of it, it hints at a point I wanted to make towards the end of this, but like it's, it, this is our first really big classic rock cover of the show. And this is not like a aberration of 1990 fish. So I'm not trying to like make any grand point, but like listening to a lot of these 1990 shows, both of them that we've talked about 328, 1990 last week, and now four, 490, these both feature walk away and mm-hmm. it's been played 88 times in fish history. The vast majority between 1988 and 1993 then a pretty significant gap. You had a couple versions in 94 um, and then nothing until uh, the uh, LA Greek theater on uh, 1029 98. And since then kind of sporadically every like 30 to 40 shows, this is one of those songs that like fish is just punching completely above their weight in covering Mm. this song. It showcases power. It showcases a dedication and appreciation of classic rock radio. And you talk about vocals, like what a showpiece for Paige McConnell. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he can still hit these high notes 30 years later, it's just incredible. But he sounds, what a crooner. Like, and I just got to imagine like a a, a random fan coming into this, a random person who's just like, yeah, I'll go see a show. This is on a Wednesday night in Boulder, Colorado. Great time of year once again, but you know, just a random night. I'll go see a concert. Comes in, here's Golgi. It's a it's a song, but like when you start to think about the lyrics and you see the structure, it's a very weird, it's a very bizarre song. It feels like prog rock stuffed into a classic yeah, it's got rock some song. Real fancy composition in that short little package. Crazy composition, yeah. like right in the middle there. You enjoy myself. This is like your Robert Fripp, you know, Pat Metheny type of just abstract composition. And then you get a just a solid power chord rock song. And you see Paige singing the way he is. Like, how do you process what you're seeing? That's the moment when you convert <laughs> yeah. the average guy. Like the average guy, he, <laughs> right, he's right, like skeptical right. through all of this yeah. other stuff. He might have been going, yeah, okay. You know, what the hell are they doing? If the, they do the little vocal jam, but then they start, <clears throat> and they start playing, you know, walk away. And you're like, yeah, it's like, man. okay. I was listening to this car driving down the street the other day. Hell yeah. You know, <laughs> they love this song. It's a great, great song. And um, I love when fish plays walk away. Love it. So fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you followed up with Duke Ellington. Why not? This Ooh, band has so much range. We play take the A train. <laughs> Left field to the uninitiated. Right. But, right. uh, yeah. you know, they've been playing it for a while. Um, and yeah, just, they have no trouble with it, which is maybe great. a nod, maybe a nod back to the jazz set that they did in, uh, in Telluride. I like that theory. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is at a time when like the the song is being played every four to five shows, every seven shows, something like that. It looks like the last performance of uh, Take the A Train, just for anyone curious, is 413-1994. This would be quite a bust out if they were attempted this. It Please. has not been played 
in 1,075 shows. This would be a huge moment if they tried to play this. And, and they like should really think about playing show. that the next time they're, um, you know, at MSG, not in the <laughs> South or the deep South, maybe the South, you know, like North Carolina, maybe. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's, I think, I think they should do it then. I don't know why it just feels right. <laughs> Shout out to any fan of Big Mouth. Raleigh. Duke Ellington is an excellent character in that TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's yeah, that's indeed true. Um, yeah, and this is also like, I, you know, the, one of the great mysteries of fish history that um, uh, has not been properly uncovered is the Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble. And uh, mm. this, I believe, would come after the run of that which I, I believe it was more of an 89 sort of thing mm. but um i think you're right yeah anybody anybody who can tell me more about it just hit me up i'm at Roger on twitter and i want to know all about it so i want to know what you saw where you saw it when you saw it and um yeah and this this benefits from that work mm-hmm. i smell a mini series in our future an investigative miniseries. I'm into this. That would be really cool to learn more yeah. about that. Good to dive into that. Um, speaking of like, you know, confounding new listeners in Colorado, but also satisfying listeners who were there in 1988 or who have been past tapes, we go into Possum. And in the intro to Possum, we get Take the A-Train teases, which just adds to this like mm-hmm. absurdity, you know, and, and you talk about early nineties fish. Like this is the fun thing about it. There's a lot of teases. There's not like a segue, a type two jam, but it's, you know, how do we figure out how to take this one song idea, a jazz standard and plop it into this kind of, uh, chugly, you know, build up (laughs) rock song that we've written about possums, you know, and, and ultimately a capstone to, to the game henge saga somehow they do it and it's it, it just adds like a little bit of fun to this overall set yeah you can hear them starting to think about like how do we connect songs that are unrelated or how do we connect musical themes that are unrelated which is so cool i also think this possum gets like rocking yeah 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 i was uh driving down the road just yesterday and um i did not hit a possum but i was listening to this possum and i had it turned up really loud to the point where my wife was woke up and said turn it down and, uh, <laughs> and I didn't because it was possum. I said, no. <laughs> you, t- and, you tell her. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I didn't fight, but I was like, no, not, I, I, it's possum. Yeah. After. Go back to sleep. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> well, and this adds to like what I was talking about with walk away. Like your point, Meg, like this is a rockin' version of possum. It's not a crazy idea that they would play a rockin' peak to the song at this point in their career, but it adds this like, Here's a band that's played a bunch of prog rock. Now they've played a, j- a jazz standard. Now they're playing this. Uh, are they singing about possums? What's actually happening up on stage? But oh my God, the solo freaking rips. What is happening right now? Like all these things have to be going around in your head as you're seeing fish for the first time in these new places. Well, if you think was... that's crazy, <laughs> then foam. they play foam. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? It's so true. Fish is so weird. Shout out to uh, 
Drew Hitz, who was uh, uh, interviewed numerous times for the Undermine series. He'll be an interview, interviewee on uh, in Undermine Season 3. But we had him and Don Hart on in Season 1 to talk about three compositions, uh, Divided Sky, You Enjoy Myself, and Foam, to show the progress of fish in the 1980s. I have always had a relationship with foam at arm's length. It's always been very strange and creepy and bizarre to me. And I walked away from that conversation Same. going, okay, this is one of the greatest songs that fish has ever made, which just caveat that's happened to me with probably 95% of fish songs, but it was that <laughs> moment for foam finally. And 1990 versions of foam are just like, like Trey has it dialed in and there's not a missed moment in any of these performances it's just it's incredible this is a this is a solid version of foam that um yeah to your point like adds to the stew that we've been hearing throughout this overall set and shout out to the other guys you know you say trey's dialed in you're not wrong but i mean you know this song doesn't work unless they're all on it totally and they were were yeah this is one of those early examples of like for us to this like this with Reba, like for us to survive, we're all connected and playing different things, and everyone has to be doing what they're doing while listening to each other, and that is a level of music, like music playing. I just will never. I I can strum a few chords, man. You know what I mean? Like I can keep the <laughs> rhythm together, I can play a few riffs, but like playing complex fugues with other guys, no, not going to happen. Well, your average show at Quigley's at the University of Colorado in 1990 was probably, you know, it was bar bands, right? You know, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it, about more most of those bands, there some guy is up front playing and singing something and everybody is trying to listen to the drummer just to stay at the same point place in the song. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you can't survive through foam just listening to the drummer. Right. You know, you, you, they've all, as you say, they're all interlocked and it isn't going to work otherwise. And, um, I, I, Brian, you got to pull up this guy's uh, comment that just popped up in the chat. Um, <laughs> I think these are the stats that I'm just like, um, I saw 14 times. times. Wow. That's amazing. Brian, we're going to ask you, um, what, what was your, did you see them in Colorado? Um, and, and regardless if you, if that was a yes or no, what was your favorite show that you saw from 1990? Let us know here as we're, as we're jumping through this, but that's awesome. Yes. That's so cool. (laughs) There, there was like a line of uh like there's like a a vet line where if you if you saw them before like let's call it 1992 it's like you were just being past their name or past a tape randomly and you just decided to do it his favorite show from 1990 was the lawn boy release party at the summer in september 1990 that is that is so cool. That's amazing. Yeah, there should be like a separate thing. You're not just like a 1.0 or you're like an 0.0 or something. You're like pre 1.0. <laughs> like the OG. That's OG. The OG. Yeah. OG. There we go. Well, and this is cool. Like um, he talks about the Lawn Boy release party. I was thinking about this as I was listening to this show because this show has Golgi, Yem, Foam, mm. Divided Sky, Esther, and I f- and contact all off of Junta, which is the most recent Fish album in April of 1990. They would not release Lawn Boy until September of 1990, mm-hmm. and they hadn't released Junta 
as as I believe when they played Telluride in 1988. I believe Junta came out after summer 1988. Um, so this is like two years later album cycle for Junta, which is just incredible stuff. Um, I don't know. That was just like a, a, a point that I was thinking like so many of these songs off their quote recent album, their first album, second album, excuse me, are getting worked out in front of Colorado mm-hmm. fans for the first time, which is wild. Um, as Brian says, Junta April 89. I think that that's right. We can confirm that, but yeah, I think it was after the Colorado 88 shows. So this is still the Junta tour, if you will, which fish never does a, album tour but you know um well, <laughs> uh, arguably it, they got more and more into that as they started playing you know the songs over and over again but that's mm-hmm. a different podcast perhaps hoist hoist <laughs> exactly. um <laughs> so we get a rhombus narration before the divided sky i forget which of you mentioned this but there were Wilson callouts. Meg, I think you were talking about this. There were mm-hmm. Wilson callouts earlier in the set. Wilson sucks callouts. <laughs> and so Trey kind of That's knows awesome. like, these are my people. Like you guys were here in 88 and you've been hearing tapes ever since then. This is a really fun moment that like, to me ties together the eighties and the early nineties fish. I love this, this part ahead of divided sky. Yeah, I mean, the narration of, you know, they go up to the mountain, they eat a root, and they come down from the mountain, they cross a big field, they walk for days, they climb the rhombus with, you know, the climbing things with the hooks and stuff, and they pull their <laughs> instruments from their packs, and they play this song. And uh, so, you know, he he could have gone anywhere, like he could have done a, you know, real Iculus in this intro, but mm-hmm. kind of backed off, kept it straight ish and went for divided sky and it's a nice divided sky great tone and uh so this is the moment where i was really thinking about trey's guitar tone and uh mm. and rig um and uh yeah it comes through beautifully on this tape i think whenever it, uh, trey feels like happy to be somewhere he's more open to talking to the audience and i feel like you can see him like being really happy and and sharing this like awesome story. I think it's like a great little kind of, like you said, mini narration. And I think he does a really nice job with it. Divide this guy is amazing. Yeah. It kind of, um, it reminds me of the episode we did a couple weeks ago, Meg, where we talked about the three 2293 game hinge where Mm -hmm. they play this first set for the audience and clearly they recognize like people are listening they're they're into this they they get what's happening right now and they come out and trey says this is the quietest audience i've ever played in front of we're gonna actually play game henge and they're not gonna do a full game henge here but it is a recognition of like we are stoked we just drove Mm -hmm. from ohio a week ago to be out here in colorado for the next three weeks in the middle of spring which I will say for the third time is like some of the <laughs> best times that you could yeah. ever be in Colorado. How's the weather and out we're there, Brian? Do- oh, <laughs> There's like a slight chill in the air, but like you can have the windows open and it's sun. Oh, I went for a run this morning. It was like slightly overcast, but like the sun's coming <laughs> over above the prairie running right towards. Just rub it in our face. Listen, we might have crap weather here in New York, but we do have MSG coming up. Okay. Everybody in the East coast. I have no defense. Okay. (laughs) We got that. You can go to sleep in your crap weather knowing that we have that coming up. 
That's true. But we have but, Fortnite MSG. <laughs> this month. The, the, the constant topic. In 16 days. Um, but yeah, I mean, then, the, then to go into Divided Sky and just like the pure bliss and the pure joy. I talked about Pat Metheny earlier. Like you, you get that. You get just like gorgeous prog rock soloing from Trey here before Carolina. But what are your guys' thoughts on this Divided Sky? You said it. Well played. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. <laughs> this is my very fancy uh, music critic speak. Um, that yeah. shit was good. Yeah, I dug it. And I was um, not watching the set list as I was listening the first time through. And so when they started doing Carolina, I just laughed. Um, because I do that whenever they do those kinds of songs. It just amuses the hell out of me. But they, of course, sincerely put in the effort and uh and i enjoy it they do and it just it it kind of wraps up with a bow this set that's shown mm -hmm. all different aspects of fish um they come out here for the second set and you get a very solid very 1990 mike's groove and again you talk about the power of walk away of uh possum mike song gives you it as well when they go into that f sharp um or what is it is it f to b flat or is it f sharp to b i don't play fish songs man i'll leave that to other guitar players i i'm i can't believe i'm <laughs> i should get my guitar right now but i think it's f sharp minor to b uh, i think that that's what the jam is and any regardless it's just like filled with power and like the red lights come on and you got to imagine at this point like corota Here's a preview of another episode coming out this week. Kuroda now a year into his role being Fish's lighting director. <laughs> like he's into all this sort of stuff. And the classic Mike's groove at this point, they're not messing around. There's no simple yet. There's no, yes. let's throw these five songs in. It's just Mike's hydrogen week apog, which I will say, you know, you ask about what do I think about listening to these 1990 shows? There's a part of me that loves when they turn Mike's groove into a anything can happen, but there's also a part of me that when I hear the classic version, I don't know why you would do anything else because the evolution of Mike's into the Eno Frippian hydrogen into just like the goofy dance funk of Weka Pog groove that somehow turns itself into like the most respectable jams jam vehicle possible in various ways. Like, it's 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 one groove and why would you ever change that you know that's I, I go back and forth in 89 you can hear them on tapes calling it total mics it's a total mics um, <laughs> that's, that awesome. is, that's right man play them all play the three together play them well rip them like this i mean it's not even it's not long there's no like 20 minute second jam or any of that stuff it is it just bam perfect ripping Mike's groove. Great way to open a second set. Hell yeah. It's great. It still is. It still is. I agree. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a purist. I like Mike's hydrogen. That's, that's my perfect, perfect Mike's groove for sure. Sweet. <laughs> we should do a feature where we talk about just classic Mike's grooves that like mm. have subtle differences, you know, not like yeah. you're saying, you know, like I was just listening to the Island tour this week and like the Mike's 
old home place, weak apog. It's one of my favorite mic screws ever. But I'm talking just like so you want to subtle do a, differences. A feature on all the times that they've ruined mic screws. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, he only wants to talk about the good ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, even my first one was Mike's Simple Mike's Hydrogen Wikipedia. So, Ooh. Yeah, which was all right. They're like, no, but, we did this wrong. We need to go back. <laughs> there was also this singers. This kids I did like the stage. quartet Mike's grooves that they were doing in the late 90s, the Mike's Simple Hydrogen Wikipogs. As long as the hydrogen came in there, mm-hmm. um, You're good. That's, that's why I hated Simple. It's the whole hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> so we move into Esther. This is a beautiful little version. Such a good Esther. version. Oh my gosh. It's like perfect. Oh, it's really, yeah. really nice. It's very theatrical. They're doing like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. They're doing these like, ooh, ahs. It's like super, it sounds like Broadway. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a show. Like this, it's like a piece. They really like illustrate this story beautifully. And it has uh, lovely instrumental passages as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, reasonably well executed. Um, I, uh, I, God, I love Esther. I remember when we did our episode on Junta um, in Undermine Season 1, we talked with the guy who produced or engineered the album, and he talked about how Trey goes to sing Esther in the studio and can't get the words out, and he can't find the voice. And they were like, why don't you just go take a walk? And he like disappeared for like 45 minutes to an hour and just walks through the streets of suburban Boston, um, you know, and just kind of gathers himself, gets himself in the mindset and comes back and delivers it in one take. And it's just like, he's got it. And it's one of those songs that like, you talk about the delivery, it has to be Broadway. There's so much imagery and there's so much to connect the dots here. And this is the era where they were fully focused on that. And when they were playing mm-hmm. a song like this, they were committed. They weren't just playing Esther because, Hey, we haven't played it in 114 shows and we should probably play it again. Like they are throwing everything. It's similar to foam. They're throwing right. everything at this. And I mean, uh, the journey that it entails, is just, oh. just still just a trip. Uh, it's cinematic. I think this is one of those songs that I actually always find myself when I hear, like, I picture the entire song in my head like a movie. You know, it's just, it's incredible. And this is a really, really great version. It's very true. So we move into Uncle Pen and the Sloth. We go, you know, bluegrass segment. You can't just slam those together, man. Sorry, we go to Uncle Pen. Go, go, go. What <laughs> you got? Kidding. I just always love an Uncle Pen. You know, I love I bluegrass too. tunes. And um, uh, I, probably irked my family in the car during this one too because <laughs> not only do i know every word but like every note of like the hornpipe tunes and stuff that he's playing all that stuff that 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 that's part of the song like i i, I know all those notes i'm singing those bits too so <laughs> aggravating you don't want to take a road totally. trip with me. um I, yeah i like this version it was a lot of fun it was uh i've heard faster ones i'll say that but uh it was a good time. We go into the sloth, which works similar to what I was talking about with Esther and foam in the sense that like, it just, it, 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 you're going to hear the sloth throughout fish's career. It's not a super rarity. It's, it's not a song that is played on a regular basis within the rotation, but it's never like a huge bust out. Um, but you hear it in this setting 
And again, this adds to what we heard in Mike's, what we heard in Walk Away, what we heard in Possum. This band that almost has no business playing with this much energy and this much power at, in in this setting. It's it's just kind of crazy to hear. What'd you guys think about this? This is a weird song. Can I just <laughs> say that? Oh yeah, that very we all weird. Love and respect to it. Yes, it's a weird song. It's one of those that I am always hoping to hear because, as you know, I don't play it all the time. Um, but it's, I mean, it's freaking weird, man. That's yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't it. really dance to it, which is, oh, yeah, you can. I mean, you can, but it's like, it's <laughs> weird. Your dancing is weird. And so I feel like I heard it this year at Hershey, I think, and I just like embraced it and I just like went for it. And I think that if you just kind of embody the sloth, it's fine. I think yeah, you I'm just said at... my dancing is weird, Brian. I think your dancing probably is weird, and that's a good thing. It's just a guess. Uh, I mean, it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> I know that my, like, I, I've brought friends who know me outside of the fish world to fish shows with me, and they're like, what happened to you? Like, I, I, dance, at, like, I dance at, like, a 90-degree angle. I, like, bend, like, halfway over, and everything oh. is just, like, it's all elbows. And it, it is something that, like, there's no other concert in the world where it's acceptable. But, like, I don't know how to move at a fish show other than the way I move at a fish show. I need and it just to see a visual of this. I, I really I – can't, I can't picture this. So we're going to have to My friend it. did, like, a pen drawing of me dancing uh, <laughs> to the Everything's Right at Dick's last year. But I, I was just checking the stats to see if I could back up my claim. The, the biggest gap between sloth performances was 7-12-2013 at Jones Beach to August 9th, 2015 at Alpine Valley of 91 shows. Aside from that, there was a 56, a 54, a 44, and a 41 show gap. Most of those have been within the 3.0, 4.0 range. Um, in 1.0, like the biggest gaps were like 37 shows. And that was... 37 shows between 10, 12, 94 and 12, 9, 94. So like 37 shows within a tour. So it's definitely like a song that like was, it was, it was, it's rare enough that when you hear it, it's special, but like at this point in time, man, they just play it with such like such energy, such ferocity. And I want to shout out our loyal listener, Stacy, who just responded with my nine-year-old son dances just like me when he dances. The <gasps> That's so awesome. That's <laughs> it. Because I try to get my son to dance like me when we webcast fish shows. And he's like, you look weird. <laughs> now, I feel like some uh, people have like, a, like a name to the dance they do. Like my friend does something we call the scarecrow where she's just like moving. She just moves her arms like this. Like my husband does the gorilla where it's kind of like hunched over and like his arms are out. So do you have a name for your dance, Brian? I don't, but I'm going to think about that at my next fish show. Okay, maybe I'll, I'll give one to you if I see you dancing. I have Jonathan, I'm guessing you've seen. You you've have seen a bunch. Our, I have you a have bunch, a bunch. And I just want to give, I'll just share one, one name. And, and yes. this is only for people who are watching everybody at home. Too bad you don't get the visual, but there's a little bit of like arms up and <laughs> oh, falling back. Oh, I like it's, that. It's gunned down in a hail of awesome. Gunned down. That's, <laughs> That's amazing. It reminded me a little bit of that thing that like floats up that they like blow up in the wind to like advertise well, things. You know? <laughs> when there's music on. It's rhythmic. Sort of. Okay, got it. So I, it's hard to illustrate with just you guys talking at me. 
my my favorite person to watch dance at a fish show without question is rjb though because it is there is there's non-stop movements there's karate chops there's jumping up and down there's like it's it's endless movement throughout the show that's amazing um so jumping into the latter part here of set two we get a return to game hinge with the lizards which is like everything we've been saying really well played excellent energy tons of power crazy to showcase the dynamics of a band who went from esther to bluegrass quick bluegrass in uncle pen to aggressive metal metal-esque if you will with the sloth back to this gorgeous composition with the lizards it's just uh, just what range man and then we're going to get an acapella song the next very next song and they go everywhere in this set. They they're they're doing it all. It's pretty amazing. They're doing it all. They're doing it all. And we get the beginning of the dedications. These don't come early in the show. Who knows? Maybe there's just like five guys left at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> they scared um, everyone off with the sloth or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that <laughs> that is one of the things. Like, if you play Big Black Furry Creature from Mars for the wrong person, they're like, this band is not for me. It's like, but they have one song like that. If you okay? play just it one. to the right person, they're like, yeah. yeah. And then and then you play Lizards, and I'm like, what? Oh, come on. What just happened? <laughs> we get I didn't know dedicated to George. Um, Trey really emphasizes the Electrolux vacuum that John Fishman is going to bring out. Mm-hmm. Fun I didn't know. I didn't know it was just kind of this versatile song that he's used as an opener a lot at this point in time. And then we move into the set closer of Good Times, Bad Times. Which Talk just on. rocks. Yeah, it's just rock. Yeah. No questions, just rock. No questions. Uh, we move into the encore here. Dedication number two, contact is dedicated to Eli. And it made me laugh as I was listening to this today because of two things. One, you know, I think one of the joys of listening to lots of music is like when you listen to a song for the hundredth time or whatever it is, you just hear something new or you recognize something that you knew about it, but like it just hits you in a different way. And like, I know this song is a love song about a car, you know, but like driving a car and recognizing like the love that Mike is singing towards an automobile. It just like, it fills me with joy that at this point you talk about dumb risks, <laughs> writing a love song about a car when you're just like a big, be- a band beginning, like, be a bit more conservative. Like think a bit more about what people really want to hear in the early 1990s. No, why Your would fish. you? Why that would fish. you? Nope. Why would nope. you care about that? Just sing with your heart. And this is where Mike Gordon's heart was. It's great. Plus, you know, it typically had a fun little groove. It has a great little groove. And then Trey shouts out Eli's birthday. And I had to laugh again because it sounds like there's like 15 people in the room. I mean, it's encore time at this point. You you mm -hmm. know it's probably thinned out a little. It's thinned out a little. There's apparently a huge party going on on the UC Boulder campus at this point in time. It's a Wednesday night. But still, you can hear the band. They stop the instruments, and they're doing doing it. 
as they sing the end of contact and they probably have like four people and you can hear Trey start to smile <laughs> a little bit. He could never hide his emotions, but you can hear him start to smile a little bit as he sees a couple of fans throughout the scattered throughout the audience. It's great. Yeah. And then we end with highway to hell. And my thought just as I was listening to this was like to hear fish play Zeppelin and ACDC is completely just like in 1990. It's something else you, you, had to be a part of what endeared them to new fans. They're not just plain classic rock covers. They're owning them. And you Mm -hmm. hear it in highway to hell. Like Trey is just like, he's listened to Angus young and been like, how do I replicate this? He's listened to Jimmy page and been like, how do I do this on the tiny rig that I have? How do we make this happen? And it's just such a stunning accomplishment for them. Yeah. It's a rip and closer. Leave everybody wanting more, all of that, you know, standard rock and roll showbiz stuff. Well done. Well executed by the fish band. Very well done. I was just going to say, I think this set list is actually really great. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do a really nice job constructing this. It has like a nice flow to it. Good like ups and downs. They put like the kind of slower songs and more chill songs at the right times. Like I think this is really well done. Really great end to the show. Second end of the second set and encore. And they really, you know, represent themselves well throughout. We've been talking about yeah. that as we go. You know, they if this is your first fish show, well, you may not come back. I don't know, but you know what fish does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you're stuck around. Yeah, you get the whole <laughs> the whole sample. This is and it's such mm-hmm. a great era for that. Um, Brian Goldenberg, who who has been uh, commenting throughout this show and shared some really cool stuff early on. Um, I really do wish everyone could have seen them in 88 to 90. And I think that really sums it up. Like that was just such a golden period to really get into the band. And I think to your point, Jonathan, from the start of the talk, like why would we go back and talk about a show like this, that like on paper, it's a fish show, you know, and there's no 20 minute jams and blah, 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 blah. Well, you get a real peek into who the band was on a random Wednesday night in a new city and how they are presenting themselves. And that's a really cool thing to learn. Um, following this night, they would play another night in Boulder for five at JJ McCabe's on Pearl street, um, which has now been turned into a steakhouse. Um, I blanket on the title, but I was, I was reading about it last night. There was a restaurant that took over from JJ McCabe's in the early or the mid 1990s that closed during the spring of 2020 and uh, opened up as a new steakhouse. But J.J. McCabe's was where Big Head Todd and the Monsters would play regularly as they built up their careers throughout, throughout the 90s. So this is basically like their their version of Nectar's, another prototypical quasi-jam band from the early 1990s. Oh, yeah, in that saw them on realm. Horde back in the day. Horde tour, yes. <laughs> um, from here... They'd continue playing in Colorado throughout the middle of April. They'd go to Crested Butte. They'd return to Telluride where they'd play Fly, Fly Me to the Moon Saloon three times. Steamboat Springs, Denver, Boulder again, Fort Collins, and Colorado Springs b- before continuing with the spring 1990 tour. You got fish in Colorado in spring of 1990 from April 4th through April 22nd, which, as Brian Goldenberg said, has one of the best, if if not the best, Harry Hood ever. I'm gonna have to listen to that after this because that's that's mm. not Harry Hood that I'm super familiar with. Three weeks of fish in Colorado 
And I will say once again, because this is the fourth month of the year for the fourth time this episode, during just an amazing <laughs> season to be in college. Oh, my God. <laughs> One last note here before we transition to the conclusion of the show. They return in the fall for a Halloween run through Crested Butte, Colorado Springs, Boulder, and Fort Collins. And they would reprise this every shows. six months. Those mm-hmm. are some great shows. 11290 is one of the first shows I ever mm-hmm. heard and like blew me away. But they would do this every spring and fall through 1993, until 1993 when they did not do a fall tour. But they would return to Colorado on a regular basis at least once a year. They would do the 1990 back and forth, 91 back and forth, 92 spring run, 93 spring run, and then 93, it turned into like a Red Rocks and then a Dick's mm. run after that. Just amazing stuff. So I have a question for you all as we transition here to the latter half of this episode. Why, Megan? Is Colorado so important to fish? Well, I don't think it's just the weather. <laughs> I'm going to start there. <laughs> Although I've heard it's great. Is it? I, I had heard that <laughs> in the past 30 seconds. Oh, I it think, looks beautiful out I there. Think, oh, my God. I shouldn't have even mentioned it again. <laughs> I mean, like we mentioned, I think this is the first place they played outside of the Northeast, and they received a really positive reaction. That's huge. That that does a lot for a growing band. And I think now about younger bands that I like, and I see when they play outside of kind of where they're from, it's impactful on them. And I think that that's, for them, this became a destination and a place that they definitely built their confidence in. And I think it it's obviously a place they love. They set up a residency there. I mean, Dix is one of the places they've played now more than a lot of other venues. It's definitely up there. I don't know if it's in the top five or in the, definitely in the top 10 of venues they've played the most. To set up a three to four day residency in the same place every year says a lot about how much the band likes to play there. And I think they've had some unbelievable shows there. I think also some of the shows there are really kind of communicative. Like they always want to like talk to the audience and send a message and like share with the audience when they're in Colorado in a way that is really special. I I think it's because they know the audience is all on drugs and they figure they can just talk with them. It's true. um, No, I... (laughs) I don't have a good answer. I think that uh, you're really onto something there, Megan. It's um, it's very clear that they love Colorado and not Southern California. Um, no, um, no, they got, they got, they found connection in Colorado. Um, they found people who liked what they did. They found a little bit of success, and they, and they went back and built on it, which is. Arguably, what they were doing up and down the East Coast, right? They'd go and play the dinky little club near the university, you know, one year or one in the spring. Then they'd come back in the fall and play maybe the slightly bigger club near the same university. Then they'd come back in the spring and maybe they play a theater, you know. And they, I, I might be exaggerating that growth in some towns, but in some places it really was like that. And in Colorado, it was kind of like that. Yes, they took two years between trips, but, um, that was smart too. Uh, <laughs> they weren't ready to keep shooting back and forth across the country financially. And in 1990, they felt ready and they did it. And it probably worked well for them because they kept going back. And um, 
I, I think the shows hold up. I think the band was continuing to grow and uh, they continued to find their audience just as they did everywhere. Yeah, I share a lot of what you guys said. I mean, I thought of two reasons that in 1988 fish Colorado brought them in in a way that no other place really was going to outside of uh, the Northeast and outside of new England. Um, You know, just the, the vibe of a place like Telluride and the, the, the desire to, to get, new ideas, new music, and the way that it shares similarities with Vermont. You know, it feels like Gamehenge and, and the lore of Gamehenge from just like the landscape standpoint, the overall oasis vibe that you get from being in a place like Telluride, from being in parts of Colorado. There's reminiscent aspects to mountain towns in Colorado to smaller towns in Vermont. And you get that same sort of uh, sentiment from a lot of people who are in these two states of outdoor, you know, total appreciation of being outdoors, um, a little bit more of a relaxed vibe and a little bit more openness to this kind of quirky, weird stew of Americana that you get um, with fish. And Vermont is kind of perfect for that. And Colorado is one of those states that maybe they didn't know it totally at the time, I mean, there's got to be a reason when they first got this, you know, offer to come out to Colorado, there's got to be a reason in their minds where they were like, yeah, Colorado in midsummer sounds like a great break for us. We don't have any shows like where this is what we do. We don't have to quit our jobs. So let's just try it out. But then to go out there and find that, like, you have this audience that is willing to go with you and, and is eager to see where you take them. It's just unbelievable. Um Jonathan, what are some of your favorite Colorado fish shows? And before you speak, I just want to pose to the audience, please share your favorite Colorado fish shows. And I'll give a shout out here to longtime listener, the incredible perp. My favorite Colorado show for purely nostalgic reasons is 11291. First set was my first tape. I still have it. And I still play it in my car 30 years later. Awesome. That. If that doesn't summarize what makes a good fish tape, I don't know what does. Like 30 years later, being in your car is just awesome. What about you, Jim? Well, you know, it's funny, and I'm actually looking over here as I pull up the set list, but one of my all-time favorite tapes, and also one of my earliest tapes, was 11191, Mm -hmm. uh, the Gothic Theater, Englewood, Colorado. That show, it, it, it convinced me. You know, um, it is, it is just, I I, I don't know really exactly how to describe it, Um, but it just, it really works for me on kind of every level. Um, Divided Sky is dedicated to Sun Ra, so. Hmm. Wow. um, Yeah. I, I really, the stash was the request from the fish.net people. And the stash was for a long time, one of my all time favorites. I have found more exploratory and expansive ones, but I still love that one. It's kind of perfect. It sounds great on the tape, uh, wood blocks, just everything about it. It's just right. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's probably one of my top one they played a couple good shows at dicks i think um (laughs) a few what about you what about you meg one of my favorite shows is the 11 17 1997 from mcnichols arena i mean this show is like 
fire. I mean, you know, I love a 1997 fish show. This is just to me kind of exemplifies why this was called the tour that destroyed America. I mean, they open with like this super nasty tweezer that's, I think, pretty underrated. It's not really long. It's only 18 minutes, but it is funky, gorgeous, elegant, just like perfect. And a five song first set. I mean, people would lose their minds. I mean, that's just, it's so good. And I just think this whole, this whole show is perfect. The set list is like, is great. And yeah, I love the show. It blew my mind when I found out about four years ago when I moved to Denver that I lived off of the same road that McNichols Arena was on. Um, <laughs> Denver is an interesting city in the sense that like it's a big city, but it's it, it kind of feels like a play city for anyone who moved from the East Coast to there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a light rail, but like you know, you can drive everywhere pretty easily. There's really no traffic. There's a lot of easy back roads in and out of places. The light rail is nice. I want I love the light rail. I just don't ride it anymore because I work at home. But the Broncos Stadium, one of the biggest football franchises in the NFL, one of the most successful teams, John Elway, then Peyton Manning, you know, decades of great quarterbacking. Their stadium is right off of Federal Boulevard, which is like a stoplight street that has, you know, cool Mexican restaurants off of it. And there's people's homes off of it. It's not like, wow. you know, in, in East coast cities where like you, you put your stadium, you know, out in the middle of, of, you know, this abandoned wasteland Foxborough like or something or Foxborough <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And McNichols was right. It shared the same complex with mile high stadium. Now in Vesco field, the nuggets have now moved across 25 to more of a downtown arena, but like, that McNichols was like just off of federal Boulevard just blows my mind. But um, I love that show. I came up with a big list of what I think are some of the best Colorado fish shows. I'll run through it quickly and then I'll show you, share with you my favorite. Cause I think everyone who knows me knows my favorite, but uh, <laughs> August 3rd, 88, 10, 31, 90, 11, 290, uh, Glenn Miller ballroom at university of Colorado. Again, 313, 91, Four six ninety two three fourteen ninety three from Gunnison. Amazing show. Haley's bust out. Huge. You enjoy myself into spooky. Cannot recommend it enough. Uh, Eight twenty ninety three. Their first show at Red Rocks. Six eleven ninety four. Very widely traded uh, show. Six ten ninety five. Amazing deep mics groove from Red Rocks. Eleven seventeen ninety seven. As you noted, jumping in at three point oh seven thirty one oh nine. The second night of the. Red Rocks run, amazing second set. I encourage anyone to go back and check that out. Very fluid, really cool jamming. Uh, Nine four eleven, the first Sunday show of Dicks. My personal favorite Colorado Fish show, 831, 2012, the Fuck Your Face show. Uh, that, 12, 30, 16, and 10, 22, 21 are my three favorite fish shows I've mm. ever seen. Uh, 9, 6, 15, the Thank You show. 9, 4, 16. Sunday night at Dick's, another where we're, we have our pattern here. 9117, the first night at Dick's, 2017. Amazing five song second set. 831 18, the first show post curveball. Great jam. Love that show. Amazing show. And 9521, the Sunday night show at Dick's this year that had uh, the machine catapult jam in it. Just amazing stuff. Thanks for uh, narrowing that down a little bit there for. <laughs> I'm a maximalist, you know, I just, I just, I see it all, but, um, I'm, I know I'm left a few things off because I wanted to narrow it down as much as possible, but that is, 
Colorado <laughs> man. Brian's Colorado Fitch. That was my it's version it's of it on. That was your version of brief favorites <laughs> in Colorado. <laughs> it's a great place to see fish. It's a great place to be in the springtime. It's a great place to be in the fall. Great winter weather. It's the only place I've ever lived my entire life that summer is my least favorite season. It's a very strange, uh, I don't know. Hmm. You should try Virginia. Um, <laughs> I did. I lived in Maryland for a while. Uh, I know what you're talking about. They're very swampy. Um, anything else anyone wants to say about Colorado fish as we close out our first Monday HF pod live episode? I don't know. I think we did it. I'm just really proud of myself because I made a sports reference. <laughs> this was impressive. I, a lot know, of things I, are happening I, here. I was biting my tongue. I'm growing. Mentioned the Denver Broncos because all I could think of is uh, Homer Simpson when he receives the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Marge is like, oh, I think the Denver Broncos is pretty cool. He's like, Oh, Marge, you didn't know anything about football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, on that note, we will be transitioning to a sports related podcast. No, I'm joking. Um, we'll be back. I'm fired. <laughs> we'll be back I'm on out. Wednesday. This Wednesday, we'll be back April 6th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. We have a really cool episode. We may be breaking some news. Um, I'm in the process of some back-channel discussions with some very important people in the uh, Wow. We may be breaking some news on Wednesday. We'll see if I get a response to the email I sent out this morning. But um, we're going to be doing a Chris Kuroda appreciation plus – an Island tour celebration. So we're going to be diving into the impact that Chris Corota has had on fish. Some of our favorite eras, some of our favorite moments for Corota in uh, fish history. Plus it's the day after the conclusion of the Island tour. It is a run. I listen to every year on its anniversary and only then because I've heard it 950 times in my life. And you know, it's one of those runs that you just kind of have to listen to at the moment it happens. We'll be talking a little bit about that. So we'll see you back here on April 6th, this Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Get your laser pointers ready. Get them ready. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk some rigs. Jonathan, can you tell us about uh, our sponsor one last time? Our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD, is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream, and in 2019, they diversified, started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques to build and protect healthy soils. They are 100% pesticide-free, use minimal tillage, and implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont agronomists to study hemp and inform best industry practices. I'm going to take this moment once again to talk about my personal favorite, the CBD salve which uh, if you're watching you can see right there uh, i use this regularly and i go through it kind of quickly nowadays but uh you know i use it for my hands for my arthritis and uh i think it helps and i love it um so you should check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com use our coupon code hfpod to get 20 percent off all products that's sunset lake cbd farmer owned vermont grown Ain't it the truth? Yeah. And with that, 
We will see you all back here on Wednesday. We don't have to wait a full week. This is great. Hope everyone out there enjoyed today's episode talking about Colorado, talking about um, weather systems, and talking about fish at the same time. It was great. Always good to talk with you, Jonathan and Megan. I look forward to doing it more often. It was fun. That was fun. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for hanging. We will see you here in a couple days. Take care. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.